So Lord, I just, you know, I, I ask you to just be with us right now as we come and we bring our hearts before you. And I know we're, many of us are at different places in our faith journey. Some of us haven't even made a commitment to you yet. We haven't even opened up our heart yet, but we're really close. Uh, for others of us, we're, we're also at different ages and different places in life. And I know that you have wisdom for us wherever we are. Some of us are way farther down the path of life. I still know you have a plan for us to grow. You have people for us to touch and impact. Others of us are just starting off, Lord. And the decisions we make in these coming years will be pivotal, critical, crucial to the way our life goes. And some of us are right in the middle of our career life. We're just starting out maybe right there. And um, we live in a very complicated world. Many voices call to us. We need wisdom. We need understanding. I just pray that you would help us grow us a little bit, expand us. We welcome your word even now. We want to enjoy your presence together and learn together. We ask for your blessing, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. So I'm calling this wisdom and the value of godly counsel, good counsel. Uh, I'm going to just open up by having us look at two books. Oh, actually, from the book of Proverbs, firstly, two verses in Proverbs, one from the 11th chapter, one from the 12th chapter. This kind of sets the table for where I would like us to go. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I've always loved this verse. This verse has had great meaning for me over the years. It's a reminder that following Jesus is not a solo walk, that there are times where we would really benefit from having other voices. In fact, there's real safety in that. There's a danger when we're only listening to ourselves. But when we, when we bring trusted others in, especially wise and godly counsel, and just it can be such a blessing to us. Look at the other verse. It says this, the thoughts of the righteous, they're right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. You know what this is reminding us? That when it comes to wisdom and counsel, that we need to be really careful about who we're listening to. Discretion in terms of who we give our ear to is huge because not all advice is of equal value. Jesus, you know, poor, poor counsel, I'll just be honest about it. Um, foolishness rubs off. And poor counsel can be deadly. Jesus said there's a way that seems right, but it leads to death. Uh, good counsel can be so life-giving. It can keep us from so much pain. Some of us have experienced real pain. We've experienced pain at the hands of people who should have loved us better. Some of us experienced tremendous disappointment. Some of it was self-inflicted. Some of it was beyond our power. The fact of the matter is that a lot of times people's decisions that are made affect other people. And, and some of us have been affected, affected by other people's decisions. And, you know, may we, not make, may we not make those poor decisions. And those of us who've seen good examples, may we follow that example. But there is a power in having good counsel. And the scriptures are clear that it can be an invaluable a resource to us in times of trouble and in certain times when we're perplexed and not sure which way to go, good counsel can be actually life-saving. Now, what I wanted us to do then, with that in mind, because I want to talk about how to decipher good and, and maybe good counsel from bad counsel a little bit, I also want to talk about how we can position ourselves to be impacted by good words in our lives. And so the way that I wanted to do it is by having us actually go back in time. 
and to appreciate what I'm, what I'm about to have us look at together, which is in the Older Testament, so it's thousands of years ago. Even, thousands of years, you know, uh, are a long time. Lots changed over the millennia. Years before Jesus came, God was working with his people, Israel. And um, I want to have us look at an exchange that occurs between two kings, and specifically a prophet, a man who was a, a spokesperson. He, he was uh, a foreteller of the things of the Lord. His name was Micaiah. I want to have us look at this exchange that occurs, because I think it really illustrates perfectly the value of good counsel, and then sometimes how it's hard to receive it, and how foolish that can be. Now, to set it in context, though, but what I'm about to read, I need to tell everybody this. Or at least you know, some of us may know this, but not all of us may. That there was a time in Israel's history, um, King David, most of us have heard of King David. He was the greatest king of Israel, but he had a son. His name was Solomon. Solomon is oftentimes thought of as the author of Proverbs and m many of the Proverbs in Ecclesiastes. Solomon was a very wise man. He had weak spots like everybody and had a real downturn in his life. But the fact of the matter is, Solomon, under his leadership, Israel had went to heights that it had never gone and has never reached again. It was an amazing time. But what occurred after Solomon's reign as the second great king of Israel, really, I mean, the third in succession, but the, the second great one, is that Israel had a civil war. Now, it's kind of like what happened with us, except their civil war resulted in a complete breakup of the nation. They had what was called a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of 10 tribes, and um, they, were called, they called themselves by the dominant name Israel. The southern kingdom, the smaller kingdom that broke these, the fishery that occurs, they were known as Judah, and sort of the derivative of our word Jew. And so if you think about it, these two were all Israelites, but they were sometimes in, even at war at times, but a lot, but a lot of times, certain, depending on who the kings were, they would forge alliances. So even though they were separated, they would periodically forge alliances, especially when it was beneficial in terms of some of the surrounding enemies. Um, we know that in, at one period in time, the king of Israel, whose name at the time was Ahab, he wanted to, um, to create a kind of an alliance with the, the king of Judah whose name was Jehoshaphat. And he invited him over because he was interested in retaking a city named Ramoth-Gilead that, that had been overtaken by the Syrians, but it's what we would call them today. And so it's with that in mind, they have this exchange. And I wanna, I'm just going to read it through. And then in your, in your handout, if you have a Bible, you can follow up. But in the handout, it will pick up in the 10th verse. I'm just going to kind of read through the opening verses. So just kind of listen to me. And it'll, it'll all come together, kind of what we're talking about. But it says this, for three years there was no war between Aram and Israel, that, that's Syria. Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel, like I was talking about. And during the visit, the king of Israel said to the officials, so do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram? And then he turned to Jehoshaphat and he asked, he says, look, you know, this is our, our city, really. Would you consider joining me in battle to recover the city that's been overtaken? I'd like to get that territory back. And so Jehoshaphat, the visiting king, turned to him and he said, you know, after, after Ahab had asked him, he said, well, of course I will. Why, why not? You and I are, you know, where is one? My troops are like your troops, and my horses are like your horses. And then Jehoshaphat added, but you know what? There, one thing, though, I would like to, he says this, I would like to know uh, what the Lord is saying. I'd like to find out what the Lord says. Is there, a, is there a prophet? Is there someone who can, 
can sort of give some clarity as to maybe if God is actually even in this. And Ahab said, oh, absolutely, yes. Um, I've, got, I've got a lot of prophets. I've got a lot of priests. I'll bring them in. They're my personal ones. I've got a huge... So it says here that, it says that there was about 400 of them that came in. This is a huge... So in our mind's eye, let's see the kings there with their attendants and their entourage. And then there's this huge space. And all of a sudden walk in, you know, because Jehoshaphat says, I would like to know, I would love to do, join this with you, but I really would like to make sure that God is in this in some way. Can you bring in some people who can tell me if this is the Lord is? He's, Ahab says, yeah, I've got 400 prophets. He brings them all in. All right? And then he asks him this question. He says, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? What should we do? Should we fight or should we pull back? Look what happens. It says, this is the question. Then Jehoshaphat says, you know, as he's listening to him, because what they respond is they say this. Yeah, go right ahead, the prophets cry out. Go right ahead. And they, it's, it's with an exclamation point. The king, the king will be given victory by the Lord. The Lord will give him victory. He is with you. The battle is yours. Go forward. And they all, these 400 voices in this kind of religious frenzy, yelling out, yes, the battle is yours. And then Jehoshaphat is kind of taken aback. And there's something about it that doesn't feel right. And even though Ahab is pretty happy about what he's hearing, Jehoshaphat, the, the king who's visiting, says, you know, is there anybody here who kind of like, represents the, the Lord of our forefathers. Um, is there a different prophet that I, I, I appreciate all these that you've got here, but I, I'm wondering if there's someone else that I could help maybe double check this with. And this is, this, and by the way, this is for me, this is one of my favorite passages. It's one, to me, it's, it's humorous because it's not even intending to be humorous. It's actually, it's one of those, those you know, exchanges that, invites us to just enjoy it and yet learn from it. So what happens is the king says, yeah, he says, yeah, absolutely. There is, there, I've, got, I've got one guy, he says. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who could consult the Lord for us. And this, I'm not joking, this is what it says. He goes, but I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. You know, he, I, I hate that guy because he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Hey, his name is Micaiah, and Jehoshaphat goes, you know what? You shouldn't talk like that about anyone who's a prophet of the Lord. Come on, king, you're, you're bigger than that. Bring him in. I want to hear what he has to say. So, the, so then what we're told is the king of Israel called one of his officials, and he says, yeah, yeah, quick, go find Micaiah, bring him in. I want to talk to him. I want to hear what he has to say. Now, pick up, now you can follow with me in the handout, because this is where we pick up. It says then, look at this. It says, then the king, of ah king Ahab and, and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on the thrones at the, at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. And all of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. And one of them, named Zedekiah, the son of Canada, made some iron horns, and he proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, with these horns you will gore the, the Arameans, Arameans, the Syrians, to death. And all the other prophets agreed, yes, go up to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious. The Lord will give the king victory. So you, you see this picture, like this kind of frenzied environment while they're waiting for Micaiah to come in. They, they're like, you've got this Zedekiah guy. He's found some iron horns. He's walking around going, God's going to be with you. You're going to gore your enemy. All the other prophets are there making noise. It's, a, it's quite an electric environment. And then all of a sudden, we're told this, that meanwhile, it says that the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, look, I just, let me talk to you a little bit before you go in there. All right? 
He says, he says, listen, all of the prophets are promising victory for the king. So if I were you, what I would do <laughs> is I would agree with them. Just tell him what he wants to hear. Because I don't think he's in the mood to have anybody tell him that's not going to happen. I mean, again, just letting you know, Micaiah, if you're smart, you'll tell him what he wants to hear. Micaiah, the kind of person he is, look what he says. He goes, you know what? Thank you for your advice. I appreciate that. But I'm going to tell you something. As surely as the Lord lives, I'm only going to say what the Lord tells me to say. I'm not interested in, in just joining in with the chorus. Now, watch the exchange. Again, he's brought into the room. Huge crowd, group of people. It says, when Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, now, Micaiah, <laughs> tell me, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? And Micaiah replied sarcastically. The Bible tells us it was sarcastic. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Victory's all yours. Easy. God is with you. Victory. Right? I don't know how he said it, but basically it's like that. <laughs> right? Enough to where Ahab goes, Cut that out. You stop, look what he says. He says, how many, and then the king speaks up sharply. Micaiah, how many times must I demand that you speak only the truth when you speak for the Lord? And Micaiah said, the truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> you want to know the truth? All right, I'll tell you the truth. In a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master, that's you, by the way, has been killed. And send them home in peace. And in one of the classic moments, Jehoshaphat turns, I mean, Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat and he says, see, I told you, that guy never has anything good to say ever. <laughs> that's why I hate him. It's, it's right there, right? He never has anything good to say about me. It's exactly what I thought. But look what happens here. What it says, didn't I tell you? The king of Israel exclaims Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. That's why I didn't want to bring him in in the first place. Then Zedekiah jumping down, because they have this exchange that occurs, and Micaiah basically says, and by the way, these priests over here, they don't represent God at all. And he says a strong word. He says, what they've got in them is a lying spirit. The one of them, the leader, Zedekiah, walks, the one with the, the one that had the horns, <laughs> throws his horns down, walks over. Ow. <laughs> slaps, slaps Micaiah on the face. Says, who are you? Look at it. Says, who are you? Since when did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? And Micaiah replied, well, you will find out soon enough when you are trying to hide in some secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to my son Joash. Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison. Feed him nothing, nothing but bread and water until I return safely from the battle. But Micaiah replied, if you return safely, 
It will mean the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he added to those standing around, everybody here, all of you, you mark my words. You mark my words. You mark them clearly. And by the way, Ahab does not return. Now, this is a classic piece. It's classic in so many ways. But there's a couple of things I'd like us to think about that we're going to pull from it. Just the first two I'm just going to move through quickly. All right? Just note them. Because we're kind of aware of it as well. But let me talk about this because it has a lot to say about the wisdom and the difference between good and bad advice. Hear me out. Number one, there are always going to be people in our lives who will tell us exactly what we want to hear. Always. It's like, it's not off on anything. Give us a pass. Give us sympathy. Always take our side. Sometimes I know why. Because I, sometimes it's because, you know, I, I don't want to lose the relationship. Or, or it might be because we're afraid of something, you know. Maybe we don't want to hurt us, disappoint us, um, dampen our enthusiasm for something, even though inside might feel like this is, this is not smart. Oh, it's going to work out. God's with me. It's going to be good. I know it is. Part of us is going, this is not going to be good. We don't say anything. Maybe sometimes we want us to like them. Maybe, maybe we're afraid um, we will reject them if we tell them. You know, they're going to reject us if we tell them the truth. I'm going to suggest it this way in the second piece here. It's a lot less common. It's less common to have people who are willing to tell us the truth in love, even though it may cost them dearly. It's a lot easier to find 400 than it is to find one. But, like, my, the reason, you know why it's hard sometimes? Because there can be a relational consequence to having a hard conversation. And sometimes we can go, you know what's going to happen to me if I have this conversation and it doesn't go well? Guess what? I'm going to be, I'm going to use the metaphor, I'm going to be put into prison. I'm going to be cut off. So I don't know if I can risk having this conversation no matter how much it needs to, be ha- needs to happen. And a lot of times there are these conversations that God does want us to have with people we love, even. But, but we're afraid. And I understand that. And I'll be honest, there's been a couple of times in my life where I've had to I'd probably be pulled back when I should have spoke up. Because, you know... Because I, I, I didn't want to, I, I liked the person so much I didn't want to hurt them, and I go, I'm not 100%, right? And I didn't want to ruin the relationship. But sometimes we have to be willing to risk. And I'm, I'm not saying be reckless. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm afraid of all the people who are always wanting to tell everybody what they're supposed to do, and, and I get that. And everybody's a nail, and they're the hammer, right? But at the same time, a lot of us have to be willing to have conversations that may even be risky. That's, that's all I'm putting out there. And, and, okay, you know why? Number three, because God's wisdom is often clarified through other people. And again, it's in the multitude of counsel that there's safety. We can get cloudy judgment, especially when we're emotionally invested in something. We can see it wrong. That's the truth. We can, we can overlay our will onto God's will because we want it so bad. And then sometimes we can make really big mistakes. It can happen in, in relational decisions, career decisions. It can happen when, when we're trying to decipher what we sense God might want us to do. And 
We want it so bad, and we've created such a narrative that it almost makes it impossible for anyone to really challenge us on it in some healthy way because they're afraid that it will risk the relationship. I don't want to be known as the person who's always against you, so I won't say anything. Because you care about it so much, i got to just try to like support it. But sometimes we need to be willing to acknowledge the fact that you and I, all of us, have, we have blind spots. We really do. There are some things that we, we think we see, we don't see it. None of us see 100% clearly all the time. That is one of the reasons why God's wisdom is mediated through other people into our lives. And in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. There's a lot of decisions in our emotional state we would make that could cost us, hurt people down the line. God wants to keep us from those things. He wants to lead us in the path of life. And so one of the ways that he has set that up is he, he has, calls us into places of community where we can have honest exchange and even sometimes risky conversation but it's real and it's honest and it's true. And when that happens, God often will clarify things. You know, I was joking about it because we need people who can speak biblically sound wisdom into our lives. A lot of times I was, I was it was interesting because I was, yesterday, my wife and I were driving and we were having this conversation and, I, and we were talking about them. She goes, tell me what's, what the best is going to be about. I said, well, you know, it's, it's, we're going to close the wisdom series. We're going to have this message around, you know, the value of good counsel. And then I said, you know, there's this great story in, in um, this, that account that happens in the book of Kings. I was talking about it. And I said, but you know, and I said, and the first two points had to do with, with just the first two ideas were, you know, how we can always tell, find people who will tell us what we want to hear, but it's a lot harder to find sometimes people who will tell us the truth in love. And, and I said, but you know, hon, one thing I, I can tell you, you've never had uh, the, the first problem. In fact, usually when I tell you about a conflict that we have, I'm having with someone, by the time we're done with the conversation, you're telling me that I'm in the wrong. And, and a lot of times, I never worry about you like taking the, my side over it. You're usually taking the other. So we had this real fun, we had fun conversation. And she goes, yeah, but you know I'm right most of the time, right? And I said, yeah, you probably, well, I said, maybe. But I mean, I, I will say this. I said, but a lot of times afterwards, it's true. I need to acknowledge it. I appreciate your objectivity and sometimes even your willingness to challenge. Because a lot of times when I actually pull back and think about it, the Lord is trying to say something to me. He's trying to either take off that rough edge because we can build our we can build our story, right? We can justify our attitudes. We can start to construct something, and we're so right about it. And to have someone to be able to just challenge us who we know loves us, they love us. But they're trying to call, because after all, what? we're both committed to following Jesus. We want to do that. So if we are, then maybe we need to be able to be challenged about that in love, right? And that's a good thing. That's what I'm saying. That's a good thing. And, and, oh, and then I'll, I'll finish it this way, the, the, the fourth piece here, because just like Micaiah clarified God's will. But listen, number four, God's wisdom does not always align with our designs. Let's just be clear about that. But when in conflict, <laughs> adjust. We adjust. That's the way of wisdom. It's like when my will and God's will sort of like is going in different directions, the adjustment. You know, I heard a story a long time ago. It's like a, a, a just fictional story. It's kind of a classic example of it. You know, it's the battleship. There's an East, what, 19th century English battleship. Big, powerful ship, man of war. There's pre-radar, so... It's a lot done by lights. 
I don't know. It's the story. There's this light. The battleship sees a sh it looks what appears to be a ship, a light in the distance signals. We are a battleship of the English Navy. Get out of the way or you will perish, right? Comes back. Um, no, no, we can't do that. We repeat, get out of the way. We are a massive ship with massive power. You know, get out of the way, move out, or you will perish. All right? Next thing you know, this is the lighthouse. Your call. Someone said in today's vernacular, this is the lighthouse, LOL. <laughs> in other words, when we come into contact, it's like the principle of God. We, we can, we, our plans, when, when God clarifies his wisdom, when our plans and God's clarified wisdom conflict, guess what? It's us that's the ones that's got to adjust. We're the one, it, wisdom, it's, it's, it's the spiritual law of the universe. It's like, it's more real than gravity. God's wisdom will prevail. It will prevail. So, you know, I go back to that third observation about how the value of having people be able to speak into our lives. And I'll just say this, you know, I found that the question, that in these questioning times of life, and I know maybe some of us are, are younger, but we're going to all come to crossroad moments in life where the issue isn't even as much about a correction issue as it is about, I gotta make a call here. I have a Rubicon moment. I gotta make a decision. Do I make this step or do I not do it? Do I make the change or do I stay put? What am I gonna do here? I'm not sure what to do. I don't even know what God really wants me to do. I think I know. And in those places where we're really trying to figure it out, you know, and sometimes those decisions have enormous consequence, just to be able to share our thoughts and our concerns with, with trusted godly people, you know, whose opinions we can respect, that, I'm telling you, um, whether it's, some, you know, in my case, it's like my wife or my close friends, um, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to help decipher what God is saying, I might have a feeling, but I also have some fear. I can't always tell the difference between courage and something that needs to be more, I need to be more cautious about. Have you ever been there? Where on the one hand, it might look like, it, it might look like a risk we need to take, and on the other hand, it could be, it could be r rash. And, and reckless, and, and those, so those lines can blur. Like I can make a move and regret it for the rest of my life. How do I know what God wants me to do? One of the things, I'll tell you what I do, in those moments, I slow things down. Now, I know there are times we gotta make a call, but I try by God's grace, I try, one, his word illuminates. But when we try to bring other people who had proven track records of trustworthiness, who we know care about us and love God, we bring them into our conversation. I'm not saying we don't bring people outside of that in. But when it comes to these things, what I have found is, that, okay, I'll show you a verse. In Proverbs 17, 17, it's a favorite, one of, that's one of my, it's a verse that I like, one of my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We might say a, a sister or a brother, there's an interchangeable. The idea is that there are certain people in our lives that honestly, when their, their value in our life relationally shows up when it's tough. Born for adversity. It's like that's when it matters. Is when the relational, when it's, when it's hard, when it's a tough call, when we feel a tremendous amount of pressure, 
when there are things that are pulling on us in many different directions, in those moments, to have counsel, a good input from a friend, advice, oh, that is such a, a blessing. But you know what that's going to mean? It's going to mean that God is going to place certain people in our lives. There are people that God has placed in my life as, in my life as a safeguard. God puts people into our lives as safeguards. What is a safeguard? Think about how you come in on some, some, you know, highway that below is, you know, some, some deep, you know, fall. Maybe it's just cavernous down below, precarious cliffs. We're driving around. A lot of times you'll see a safeguard put right on the, right on the edge of that, lest someone fly off into oblivion. Safeguards are like that in our lives. There are things, there are habits we acquire, there are people who become like that so that when maybe we might fly off, we've got enough humility in our life to build relationships that function as safeguards that keep us from doing really foolish things or just things that maybe aren't the best that God wants or at least help save us. You see what I'm saying? Like you may even have a few, I've hit some of those a couple of times, right? There's some bumper damage there. <laughs> Skid marks on the side of the safeguard that showcased the paint of the car that hit it, but was saved. Yes. And that's sometimes why we, you know, we don't talk about all oh, small group. We talk about community. We talk about belonging. You know what? Because Jesus taught us that. And he taught us that it's really important to have that, this environment where critical, spiritually-based, biblically-centered relationships with people we love and trust, not perfect, but the thing is this, in a moment of, of when we're trying to figure something out, if we can have people who can help us slow it down, let's pray about this. Sometimes that happens in a variety of different ways, too. It might be that they, there's a series of, hey, let me tell you what I think here, just to consider. Sometimes it's others of us process better when we're asked questions. And we begin, to be, we begin to ask things. Now, Ahab ultimately died, you guys, because he did not heed Micaiah's God-inspired counsel. Can you hear me? One of the questions, just stay with me. One of the questions that God's wisdom asks, did God place this person uniquely in my life as a voice? Because if he placed that person in our lives as a voice, is a kind of unique role for us then I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If he did, then their opinion in the midst of our dilemma matters more. And on major decisions, it is of great significance, and it should not be quickly passed by, even when it doesn't agree with what we want. Additionally, additionally that bl their blessing and support should be diligently sought. And I personally, if the trusted people in my life were to question and suggest that I take an alternative course, I would most likely, without their approval, not do it. Because I have to believe that God speaks to a multitude of counsel, and that in that counsel there is safety. I'll quickly, for time's sake, I'll just give you a little picture, a tool of how I think of in my own life counselors. It's just it's just a consideration. I tend to see it as having what I call outside counselors. And for me, outside counselors predominantly are like speakers and writers, um, people that, listen, I'll never know them. I, I won't ever even barely see them. Maybe I'll see them a little bit from a distance, some maybe. But I have no idea how their life is. 
many of them are authors that I read, that I've read, you know. If I mention names of people I read, and I find myself reading more about, I, I find myself reading more about people who follow Jesus who are older than me. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I want to finish well. And I want to see people who've run well to the end and kept growing and stayed in love with God. And so whether there are, some of them aren't even alive anymore. I think about people like Dallas Willard and Calvin Miller, people I've read. There are people alive still. I mean, Billy Graham, Bill Hybels. These are people I, I've read. I, I, there are people I've, I've come, Gordon McDonald, who I've just lived out of, Frederick Buechner, Eugene. I mean, people whose lives, then there, of course there's contemporary people as well. What I'm saying is these are counselors to me, Henry Nowen, people who I never know them, but I know them in a way. I know them through their words. I know them through their counsel. It's good-centered, God-centered, Christ-centered counsel. That, so, but there's also another kind of counselor in my life. I call these, what I call these like trusted counselors, right? These are, these are people, I kind of know them. I might be a speaker, might be a counselor. We'd go to some people, I have a little bit more ability to observe their life, their words. So that I don't know them super well, but I know them, it's, I know them a little bit. And they're alive. That also helps, all right? <laughs> and I can, I can observe their life. I can observe their out the outcome of their life. That's a big deal, actually. Like, what are the fruits? What's showing up? Again, so they, they, those, those words have meaning. They have, they have value. They have weight. And then the last category for me, which is the one I'm going to push in, is, is what I call these are intimate counselors. You see the circles? And these are people who are very close to us. People with whom I can share my heart, and they know my weakness. We have enough trust it's been built that we can actually be honest and authentic and be challengeable. But again, I come back to this, you guys. It's going to require, it's going to require humility. Ahab was proud and he was stubborn when it came to hearing God's counsel. And so he paid the ultimate price. We would do well to guard against pride. Instead, we need to listen to the counsel that God sends our way. God resists the proud but he gives grace, extraordinary grace to the humble of heart. And his, the, the willingness to be open to allowing people to speak um, honest words to us. The Bible says, again, this is a, such a huge blessing. And remember, let me, and by the way, I'll leave it well, pretty close to leave it at this. Let me tell you what seeking godly counsel is not. It's not telling people or a person a decision we've already made and then asking them to sign off on it. That is not the same thing as before I make this decision. I need you to help me. Now, here's the thing. There have been times where I've, I've kind of known that God might say something, and I didn't want to hear it. So instead of taking the risk that, he, that I might actually hear something different than what I wanted, I maybe avoided that. But there is wisdom in being truly open and asking God to show me through my trusted friends and voices what the Lord, let's pray together. Let's, let's explore this together. Let's weigh this out together. Let us see, if, is God in this? And then we make the best decision we know. Do you see what I'm saying? So when we close the service, we're about to do it now. Let me tell you how it's going to kind of tweak itself at the back end. We have, the song that we picked is called Blame Somebody Else. It's a bit of a melancholy song. What it is talking about is one aspect of what we've just shared. It's talking about the hard conversations. 
and how sometimes God is really wanting us to be open, but it's really difficult when someone says, you know what, you need to own this, not blame somebody else. I know this is a hard truth, but you need to hear it. And sometimes that can even make us mad. That song is going to kind of explore that. But I want to pray. We're going to have our time of giving together as a people, honoring the Lord and what he's doing here and in our lives. And then we're going to close with the final song. So let me go ahead and pray and ask God's blessing. Lord, I thank you for the privilege, the privilege of being able to talk about you, be able to encourage others to follow you better. I want to do that too, Lord. I pray that you would help us because we all need others in our lives. I pray that you would help us to forge relationships that have value and meaning and true significance that will help us to become better, more in love with you, more committed in, our, in the way in which we want to follow you, better decision makers, better people who are capable of blessing others and not hurting others, Lord. I just really pray that. I pray that we would value the people that you've placed into our lives who are not just anyone. They are people you sovereignly put there for a reason and a purpose. And it really needs to show up in these crunch times of our lives. So I pray for your blessing, your wisdom, and your grace to just fill our time as we, before, as we leave, Lord. We just settle into it. I ask for that blessing. Uh, do good things, Lord, in the days ahead. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. <laughs>